Hey, this is Rich Wilkerson. I'm the pastor of VU Church in Miami, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Come on, can we give honor where honor is due? Let's give it up for Pastor Manushka and Pastor Dakota. Come on, make some noise! Fight night. We love you, Pastor Rich. We've been asked to do some crazy stuff in our, in our church at we Boo, have. but I think fighting each other is the highest. I think it's the craziest <laughs> I thing. I was nervous. <laughs> I'm excited, man. Are you ready to preach? You I'm ready bring to it preach. today? I'm ready to go right into this thing. Well, the thing is, before I left the house, Blair said, I didn't marry a loser. So if you... If you uh, Listen. She said, make, if you go out there and let Manu embarrass you, you're going to sleep <laughs> on the couch tonight. I said, I said, I just fell in love with you all over again. <laughs> I love that. Feel That's good? incredible. I feel good. I feel ready. feel like God wants to speak something. Yeah. We're not fighting each other today. We're fighting the devil. Oh. You know what I'm saying? We're oh. fighting the devil today. Yeah, I'm really excited. Really, we've been in a collection yeah. of talks talking about Mark. And really, we're going to be studying Mark from now all the way until June. All we just got a collection June. of talks entitled Changes. But I'm excited to go into Mark yeah, 3. Yeah, I'm excited bit. to get into the Word. And I think it's such an opportunity for us to be able to take these next six months for us to study the book of Mark. I think somebody ought to memorize Mark by the time we end this collection. That'd be a very Jewish Jesus thing to do, to memorize the text, to really understand the text. But as we're looking to the book of Mark, we're looking to the life of Jesus. We're looking at the lifestyle of Jesus. And today, as we get into the scripture, we want to not just read the scripture, but we want to get into it. We want to ask questions. What's the who? What's the where? The when? The why? So we're going to jump right into it. Let's go. Yeah, let's do it. We're going to be in Mark 3. Somebody say Mark 3. Mark 3. And in Mark 3, up to this point, really Jesus has been in ministry. Mark is the book of action. And he's been moving. He's been teaching. He's been healing, encouraging. Great crowds already know about Jesus. But what he's about to do is he's about to call his disciples. They've already kind of been following him. But what he's about to do is he's about to appoint them. He's about to call them. How many of you know calling in church is a big topic? Yep. Calling can be scary. Calling can be intimidating. There's a lot of questions that follow calling. Is it individual or is it corporate? How do I find it? Who tells me? Where do I read to know exactly what my assignment on this earth is? I believe that as Jesus calls these disciples in Mark 3, we get a lot of these questions answered. And if you will, turn with me to Mark 3, 13 through 19. We'll start in verse 13. It says this, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. Somebody say, be with him. Be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Before we even get into it, spoiler alert, Jesus picked people to be his disciples that you and I would have never chosen. Wow. The title of our talk today is simply this, your calling is confirmed. Your calling is confirmed. Come on, is anybody thankful that your calling is confirmed today? Ding, 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 Yushka. Here we go. Be ready. Your calling is confirmed. I love that. Type that in the chat. I think that is an encouragement for us 
to know that our calling is already confirmed. So many people are confused about their calling. Some people are unsure, do I even have a calling? But there's something about getting confirmation. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm so so thankful for confirmation. I walk in like a confidence when I have confirmation. Last week was Valentine's Day. And if you didn't realize in Miami, it was like the Super Bowl. The traffic was insane. You couldn't get a restaurant reservation anywhere. It was just unbelievable. I I couldn't understand it. I had a friend in town, and I was like, you really picked the worst weekend to come to Miami. So I'm calling around, trying to get a reservation, calling restaurants. I've got a whole sob story. I'm like, my friends are only going to be here for a little bit. Can you please squeeze us in? And finally, somebody called me, and they said, you're good. Your, Your reservation is confirmed. And you, you walk in with a different confidence when you're confirmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. not like, am I going to get a seat? Like, I walked in. I was like, table for two. I know it's ready for me. Yeah, yeah. Like, you walk in with a certain confidence when you're calling, it, when it's confirmed, when your reservation is confirmed. Have you ever been to a restaurant with some friends and, um, you know, you, you kind of know what your budget is? And so you kind of stay in, in your limit? Exactly. You know, you're like, all right, I'm just going to get fries and water. Yep. And your friends are like, why, why aren't you eating? You're like, no, no I'm just I'm fasting. You know, I can't, can't have any of it. And then the bill comes and someone says, let's split the bill. Right. You're like, you got five mimosas. Like, what do you, what do you mean let's split the bill? <laughs> and, you know, you don't want to cause a fuss. So you're like, all right, you're, you're, you're thinking, all right, what am I going to do? You, you hand your card over and you're just praying the whole time. And now they bring the card thing right up to you. It's not even like, they're just standing right in front. You're not sure if your card's going to go through. And it's pending and it's pending. And I'm telling you, when that thing goes through, you're like, there's a God somewhere. Mm. It's confirmed. There's something about having confirmation. I'm really into sneakers. And in order to get the kind of sneakers that you want, you got to like really work hard for it. You got to have an app and you got to be there on time. And you, there's all this, this process in getting the sneakers that you want. And, and, There's no better feeling when it goes from pending to confirm. My God. When it goes from pending to confirm. And the same thing goes with your calling. Like, it's already confirmed. God's not in the back wondering, like, oh, my gosh, do I have a purpose in her size? Or or she's 18 now. She's married now. I need to find a calling. And and God's not doing that. Your calling's not on back order. It's not out of stock. Your, Your calling is confirmed. It's already confirmed. And we see in the text that Jesus, he calls his disciples. In Mark 3, verse 13, it says, Jesus went up to the mountainside and he called to him those he wanted and they came to him. See, we're living in a day and age where people aren't really sure how to initiate. See, Jesus, he initiated. He went first. He saw what he wanted. He called. But today, people don't know how to initiate. Like, girls are like, do I shoot my shot? Or, and guys are like, when do I reach out? If you right. get a text message, you're like, all right, I got to answer in 22 minutes. I can't seem thirsty. We, we don't know who should initiate. Like, if you're single out here, the struggle is real. For, for those of you like Dakota that met Blair in pre-K, congratulations. God bless you. We love you. Oh, my gosh. I met them when I was 17, and now we're married. We love you, and God bless you. But for those of us out here, the struggle is real. That, like, who is going to initiate? That's Who's awesome. going to start this thing off? But, but Jesus led the way. He saw what he wanted yeah. and he called. I don't know whose word that is, but you got to see what you want and just call. Just mm-hmm. see what you want and call. Yeah. Jesus, he initiated. He knew exactly what he wanted and he called to them. He called his disciples. And so who were, who were the disciples? I think it's important for us to realize who did Jesus actually call? 
Mm-hmm. Oftentimes when we see the disciples depicted in a movie or when we see them in a photo or something, we, we'll see like these middle-aged dudes with beards following around Jesus. He's blonde hair, blue eyes, flowing in the wind, right. looking all pretty. Yeah, yeah. But that's not really what the disciples looked like. Yeah. They weren't middle-aged guys with beards. They were more like Middle Eastern middle schoolers. Yeah. Scholars would say that they were about 11 to 18 years old mm. when Jesus called them. Incredible. And so a, a lot of times we give the di- disciples a bad rap. We're just like, well, why didn't they get it? Like Jesus was right there. Why didn't they mm-hmm. understand? Like imagine they're on a boat and Jesus is like, oh, you've little faith. And right. Bartholomew is probably in the corner crying like, Jesus, I'm only 12. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm 12 years old, Jesus. Of course I don't get it. Right. <laughs> But really the way that you have to look at the time is that around that age, 12 to 13 years old, that in Jewish culture, they were stepping into being a religious adult. We see this with Jesus when he's 12 years old. He is at the synagogue during the Passover and he gets left behind by his parents. They they leave three days. They, They don't know that he's not with them. And so he's in the synagogue and he's studying, and he's answering questions, and he's sitting with the teachers of the law. And the Bible says they were astonished at how much he knew. And, and Mary shows up three days later, like, Jesus, where were you? And, and, and his response to Jesus is, why did you seek me out? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. See, when he was saying, I'm about my father's business, in their mind, it's like, your father's a carpenter. You're getting ready to step into being an adult. Carpentry is your, your business. But Jesus knew my, my business is being in the synagogue and, and being in the text and being around people of God. Yep. And so we see that when Jesus calls the disciples, they're around the same age that he was when he was first at the temple. And, and he's calling these, these different fishermen. The story is depicted in Mark 1, verse 16 to 20. It says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone off a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. See, around this age, these fishermen, they were about their father's business. Mm -hmm. They were fishermen. They were following the trade of their father. See, the people that Jesus decided to call were commoners. They were fishermen. They were regular people. See, in order to follow a rabbi, you would have had to go through an extensive learning. You'd have had to study. You'd have to been devoted to your studies. See, the way that the Jewish educational system worked, at the age of five, they would start a school. It was called Bet Sefer. And from five to nine, they would learn and they would memorize the Torah. So they memorized the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They had to have that all memorized. And what would happen is if anybody was exceptionally gifted, they would move on to the next level of schooling. And it was very rare that people would be that gifted to move on to the next level. Usually at the age of nine, their schooling was over and they would go to do their father's business. And so you see people who are exceptionally gifted step into that next level of schooling. It's called Bet Midrash. And they would step into this next level of schooling and they were required to now memorize from Genesis to Malachi. They were 
they needed to be able to quote scripture. They didn't, it, they didn't have to look at it. They had to quote scripture right then and right. there. They were gifted. They were exceptional. And, but this was a rare gift. Not many people would have this. And after they finished that level of schooling, they were now able to apply to actually sit with a rabbi. And they would have to find a rabbi. They would go up to the rabbi and ask, can I follow you? And the rabbi would ask them questions and the rabbi would see, is this person worthy of being able to follow me? Is this person good enough? Do, do you have what it takes to follow me? And, and I'm telling you all of this so that you can see how hard it was mm-hmm. to actually be able to follow a rabbi. Right. You'd have had to have taken years and years of discipline and study and memorization and knowing the text to, be fo- to follow a rabbi. Yep. And so when Jesus stops these fishermen and says, come to follow me, they literally drop everything. Yep. Because what a privilege, what an honor for, for yeah. Jesus, this rabbi that I've heard about. They would have heard about the miracles that Jesus had already done. They would have heard about him at 12 years old in the temple. They would have heard about him turning yep. water into wine and healing the sick. And when Jesus stopped and talked to them and said, follow me, they dropped everything and they ran because what an honor it is to follow the rabbi. Mm-hmm. What a privilege. Mm. That would have meant that the yep. rabbi saw something in them. Him saying, come and follow me was the same thing as saying, I believe in you. I believe that you have what it takes to be like me. I believe that you have what it takes to live like me. And here's what's encouraging for us, that if Jesus chose commoners to follow him, Mm -hmm. to be his disciples, to be the ones that would change the world, he chooses you and I. That it's not about us having the best education or coming from the right family or having enough money in our pockets. He chooses you. He chooses us with all of our hurts, our habits, our hangups. He, he chooses us no matter what baggage we come with. Yep. He chooses us. He doesn't matter. Sometimes we're just like, I don't think that God would choose me. I'm too messed up. I, I've got too much going on. But mm. he chooses you. Amen. He sees beyond the qualifications that would say that you're worthy of being a rabbi. And he calls you worthy. Mm-hmm. He says you're worth it. I believe that you have what it takes. He calls. Jesus believes in you. Maybe you don't even believe in yourself, but he believes you have what it takes to be just like him. He calls you. And and sometimes it's easy for us to think that calling is is really only reduced to stage gifts. Well, if I preach or if I lead worship or if I do something that people see, then I'm called. But that's not just a calling. That calling, God has given us each a calling for different reasons and different seasons that he has called each and every one of us to come because he believes that we can be like him. He he calls us, but we have to answer the call. Come on, that's good stuff. Can we give it up for Manushka? You didn't have that dig about me and Blair in your notes, though. It's cool. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Now I'm mad at you and the devil. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Man, I love what you're saying, Manushka, and I love the background that you're bringing to it because it's true. Uh, We were wondering, hey, why did the disciples, did they just automatically know who Jesus was? Why did they automatically drop everything that they had and immediately begin to follow Jesus? But it makes so much sense. It's because they had been looked over in the past, and now somebody looked them in the eye and said, you're enough. I believe in you. That's the type of God that we yeah. serve. We serve the God that's going to look at you regardless exactly what she said of anything that you've done. So he's calling, but the answer is pending. 
He's calling, but the answer is pending. The second idea that we see is we have to come. We come. See, Jesus, he's with great crowds, and he's just come from teaching, and he's just come from healing, and his ministry was attracting thousands and thousands of people. And now what he's about to do is he knows he's going to eventually die on the cross and ascend to the right hand of the Father. And he knows that this message that he is living out each and every day on the earth, it has to continue to live on for generations. Now we're at a place where millions and billions of people are following Jesus, but it had to have a start. Had to have some founding fathers. It had to have some people. And this was that moment. That, that's what's at stake here in this meeting. What's about to happen is Jesus is about to look at 12 regular old guys, young guys. <laughs> and he's about to say, hey, I'm calling you to be apostles. I'm calling you to be a disciples. This is huge. This is bigger than any inauguration of a president. This is bigger than any coronation of a king. And you would think for something of this magnitude that Jesus would keep the thousands around that were already following him and say, hey, I got these 12 guys and they're gonna be your leaders when I'm gone. I want you to respect them. I want you to be under their leadership, but that's not what he did. Jesus didn't create a great ceremony. Instead, Jesus intentionally said, I got to get away from the crowds. I'm going to seclude to the mountaintop. And then what did he do? From the mountaintop, he called them. So they had a response at that point. They had to come. They had to come. And for us, it's so, it's so different because our society right now is all about being seen. Our society right now, if we're going to have a position like the apostles had, that's the opposite of what we want. Yo, we want the camera crew out. We want it to put it on Instagram. We want it on TikTok. We want it to go on TV. We want it to be seen because this is a big deal, but that's not how God works. Yep. And you and I, we're, we're frustrated because we're looking for our calling in the crowds. We're looking for our calling at the conferences. We're looking at our calling and the conversation. But I think we got it all mixed up because I think what we're actually after is a career, not a calling. See, the two are very different. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Clubhouse. And we're looking for someone to finally tell us and hand us a piece of paper that finally says, oh, this is what God has called me to do. But it's not true. You see, we withdraw to find our calling. We network to find our career. Come on, let me say that again. You want to find a career, you network. You want to find your calling, you withdraw. You spend time with Jesus. We're waiting for a job title that's going to tell us what our purpose is. It's never going to come. We're waiting for a job description to entail all that God has called us to. But the two are so different. You see, a career, it'll tell you what to do from eight to five. But a calling will help you live each and every day of your life. A career, yeah, it's true. It'll give you earthly stability. But a calling will give you an eternal responsibility. A career, it'll give you status. 
but a calling will give you purpose. A career will give you the opportunity to climb the corporate ladder of success, but a calling will give you the opportunity to build the church of Jesus Christ. What are we after today? Are we after a career? Are we after earthly gain? Are we after building what he's called us to build, which is the church of Jesus Christ today? We've got to stop looking at our social media for our calling. Keyword social. We got to be looking into the Bible. We have to withdraw to the presence of God. Jesus was giving us a principle. See, Jesus came to where we were for salvation, but we come to where Jesus is for discipleship. Let me say that again. I just want to make sure we understand this because there's levels to this. The disciples were already following Jesus and they were already seeing him perform miracles. But now Jesus was about to call them to new heights. And so they had to come to him. See, every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. What the enemy wants to do is he wants to make this whole calling thing confusing. That's a tactic. Like literally a tactic for him is like, yo, if I can just make this calling cloudy, if I can just make this calling confusing, they're going to stay right where they are. They're never going to walk into it. And that's what he wants to do. Have you ever been there in your life before? Have you ever been in a place in your, in your life where you have some job opportunities and you have some opportunities maybe to move to a different city and you're like, yo, I, I'm confused. I don't know where to go. A couple weeks ago, uh, I went with Pastor Rich on his wilderness week. And uh, it was me, Pastor Rich, and three other people, John David, a friend named Ben, and Minka. And we're out there really camping, okay? This is real man stuff. I mean, we had access to showers, but it was camping, okay? We did sleep in bunk beds, but it was really hard <laughs> out there, okay? You got to understand. <laughs> We had a schedule that we were following and we'd get up and work out and we'd have time to meditate and we'd have time to pray and we'd have time to read. And we actually read through the entire book of Mark on the trip, but in the middle of each day, we would hike. And on these hikes, uh, we'd go sometimes five, six. One day we went 10 miles. And on this 10 mile hike day, Pastor Rich at this point was kind of leading the way and he was charging forward and we were having conversation. And we had paths that we were following, but Pastor Rich jumped off the path into this little creek area. And we just kind of let him do his thing because it didn't look as much like a creek, kind of like looked more like a sewer or something. It wasn't, wasn't very appealing, this part that we were seeing. It was kind of this big area with some rocks around and it was kind of hard to get to, to be honest with you. It was an inconvenience to go off this path and in this direction. And what we saw was not appealing at all to us. Like, why would we go there? Pastor Rich is still like jumping from rock to rock, you know, <laughs> going down the creek. There's a little bend and it turns. And when Pastor Rich got to that point, his eyes just lit up like a kid on Christmas morning. It's like, guys, you got to come see this. There's a, there's a big, I'm not going to tell you, there's a surprise over here. You just got to come. You got to come. I promise. It's awesome. You got, you got to come see this. And so all four of us before, we were like, We're not going to inconvenience ourselves for that. We're not going to go out of our way for that. But now we see somebody that we're following who we trust, and he's telling us, no, the path is good. So what do we do? We got off the path. We come around the bend, and it's this beautiful waterfall. 
And it was one of the best parts of the entire trip. But I I just was thinking about this story this week because I think that's so many times where we are with calling. I think sometimes we're following Jesus down the path. And the path is cool and we're comfortable with the path. But it gets to a point where Jesus starts going into a direction that we're not sure about. Starts going into a direction that like, yo, that's, that's actually a step back from where I am, God. That's a sacrifice to where I am, God. I think that's the wrong idea. I don't think I'm supposed to get there. And what happens is our eyes go from God and they go to the path. But God is in the creek. Jesus is in the creek. He's down. He can see things more than we can see. And he's trying to tell us, but our eyes are down. And I'm trying to remind someone today that if you're trying to find your calling, you got to get your eyes off the path and you got to get your eyes on the person because we're not called to the path. We're called to follow the person. So today, don't get it confused. Don't try to be looking at the markings on the tree for your calling. All you need to do is find your leader. Come on. And that's Jesus. And I promise, if you stick close, if you come to Jesus, you won't be able to miss your calling if you tried. Come on, does anybody believe it today? Not on the path. The enemy is not just afraid of you being aware of your calling. He's afraid of you walking in your calling. And what I'm trying to tell somebody today is that your calling is moving from where you are to where he is. I want you to get this concept. Calling is moving. That's why we say that person is walking in their calling. But what's interesting is the enemy wants to use the same thing that should compel us, which is our calling, to move and do the things of God. And he wants to use our calling to cripple us. Say, what do you mean? Well, haven't you ever felt the pressure to measure up? Sometimes what the enemy wants to do is he wants to make your calling about you. Because the second that the enemy can make your calling about you, then he can keep you right where you are. Why? Because now my ego comes into play. Now my preferences come into play. Now my insecurities come into play. Now my doubts come into play. And if today you want to miss what God has called for you to do, just focus on yourself. But if you want to get to where God has called you to do, you got to focus on him. Because see, our calling, it can do just the opposite. Just that calling that's about us, that cripples us and keeps us right where we are, on the opposite side, it can compel us. When we understand the good news, that it was never about us in the first place, but it was about God doing something through us, oh man, now the weight's gone. Now the pressure's out. Confidence will replace insecurity. Hope will replace doubt. Peace will replace anxiety. And faith, it will replace your fear. Today, we're not looking for a career. We're looking for a calling. Don't let the enemy cloud your calling. Jesus is confirming your calling today. Today, he calls, but we come. The answer is pending. The question is, will you come? Come on, does anybody believe that today? That's so good. Your, your calling is moving. And I like that idea because we're walking with Jesus. Right. And we would see that the disciples would walk with Jesus, mm-hmm. that they would follow Jesus. He calls, we come, but yep. he appoints. Mm-hmm. The text says he appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that they might send them out to preach mm-hmm. and to have authority to drive out demons. 
the first thing that Jesus appoints them to do is to be with him. Right. What if we understood that the greatest thing that we could ever do in our lives is just to be with Jesus? Mm -hmm. I know we want to accomplish great things. I know we want to do amazing things, but what if Jesus is telling us the greatest thing that we can do is just to be with him? Mm. Just to be around him, to walk with him. If I want to know where my calling is, I've got to go where Jesus is. Mm -hmm. If I want to know where my calling is, I've got to follow the rabbi. We would see this because disciples, they would live with their rabbi. They would watch the rabbi. One of my favorite Bible teachers, Marty Solomon, he says this, that their goal was to know what the rabbi knows in order to do what the rabbi does for the reason the rabbi does them in order to be just like the rabbi in his walk with God. And so that challenges me. Mm -hmm. Am I living my life like the rabbi? See, because the disciples, they would watch everything the rabbi would do. Well, well, did he say a certain prayer before he went to bed? Did did he interact with his mother or father a certain way? How how does the rabbi treat his enemies? How does the rabbi go to the synagogue? They would watch everything the rabbi did, and their goal in life was to be like the rabbi. Mm. Their goal was like, how can I be more like the rabbi today? In what ways can I be more like the rabbi? And it Mm -hmm. challenged me. I was like, am I thinking this way? Right. Did I do anything today to be more like Jesus? Mm. Did I do anything last week to be more like Jesus? Did anything in my week push me to be more like the rabbi? Am I even thinking about it? Yeah. Do I live my life this way? Do I go to work this way? Do I interact with my coworkers? Do I interact with my family with the thought of how can I be more like the rabbi? Mm. See, in order to know the rabbi, you've got to be with the rabbi. We've got to be around the rabbi. See, we wear WWJD bracelets, what would Jesus do? But we have to to actually look, what did Jesus do? What did he actually do? We see that Jesus practiced silence and solitude. He would often withdraw to a quiet place, lonely places, to pray and to be with God. Do we have any silence in our lives? Mm. Is it always noise? Do do we need the TV to fall asleep because we want to be distracted by our, like, do do we always need noise around us? Is there always something distracting us? Is there ever a moment of silence in our lives? Is there ever a moment that we're pausing? He, He practiced silence and solitude. He honored the Sabbath. He knew when to rest. He knew when to pause. Do you know when to stop? Do you know when to say enough? Do do you know when to rest? We see that Jesus prayed. He fasted. He took time to fill himself up. He abstained from food so that he could be recharged. Jesus was a man of the text. He would often say, it is written, and he would quote scripture. He was only saying that because he knew what was written. Do I know what's written in the text? Do I know what the word of God says? Jesus practiced forgiveness. He forgave others. I have to look at my own life. Is there any place that I'm harboring unforgiveness? Mm-hmm. Is there a family member that I haven't spoken to in months? Do I have a good relationship with my mom, my dad? Like, how do I treat people around me? Have I forgiven people for the things that they've done Beautiful. for me? Jesus showed compassion. Mm-hmm. Jesus cared about those in need. Mm-hmm. He lived in community. He lived around people. He shared a meal. He would sit at tables with sinners and he would eat and he would drink and and he would spend time with people and have conversation. Does our life look anything like that? Mm. Jesus fought for justice. He championed peace. 
He practiced radical generosity. When, when I think about all these things, and there's so much more that Jesus did, we'd be here all day talking about how Jesus lived his life. But I have to ask myself, am I learning how to be with Jesus? Yeah. Am I learning how to live like Jesus? Right. Am I learning how to become like Jesus? Mm -hmm. Because being a follower of Jesus means that I have to follow Jesus. Mm. That I'm not following my own agenda. That I'm not following my feelings. I'm right. following Jesus. It said that he appointed them to be with him. He appointed them. He set them apart. He consecrated them. That They were dedicated to him. Leviticus 20 verse 26 says, You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. That if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're thinking about being a follower of Jesus, that's going to mean that you have to be set apart. Right. That's going to mean that you, your life has to look different, that so you good. can't watch everything. You can't listen to everything. You can't do yep. every TikTok challenge. Like, yeah, you yeah, you yeah. have to be set apart. You've got to be different. Does my yep. life look any different? Yep. See, he's appointed you. He set you apart. Jeremiah 1 and 5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Mm. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So before you were born, God already appointed you. Yeah. Before you were in your mother's womb, he already appointed what you would do. Yep. He already appointed that you would write the book. Right. He already appointed that you would be opening that business. He already appointed what you would do. He appointed you. He already called you. You were appointed for this. So you're appointed, you're called, you're, you're consecrated to be like him. Yeah. And it's so that people would see that you're like him. Mm -hmm. In Acts 4 and 13, said, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Could this be said of our lives? Can someone look at me and be like, right. I, I know she, she didn't do that great in school and I, 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 she didn't do that well, but I think she's been with Jesus. Right. It looks like she's been with Jesus. And I believe that when we begin to step into what God has yeah. called us to be, yeah. people are going to look at your life and it's like, I knew you when you were on drugs. Mm. I knew you when you were messed up. I knew you when you were depressed. I, I knew you when you faced anxiety, but you're different. It, it, you might have been with Jesus. It looks like you've been with Jesus. I want my life to look like I've been with Jesus. I want people to see that there may not be anything particular or special about me, but what they see is the glory of God. That you're set apart and you're dedicated to God for his glory. Mm -hmm. That you're set apart. Growing up, my mom, she had okay. in her living room this china set. And it was all these different plates and, and these cups and all this stuff that we could never touch. We got to touch it once a year. I mean, there was a room that we couldn't even walk into. Like, the couches had plastic on it. I don't know if anybody knows that struggle. Right. I didn't know couches were supposed to be comfortable up until I got to adult. I was like, wow, couches are supposed to be comfortable. But... Right. It was like, it was set apart for the glory of my mom. Yeah. <laughs> it was set apart when the good company came around, you know? And, and, and that's the way that God sees you, that you're yep. set apart because you have value. Mm. 
there is something valuable about you. So I can't do everything or go everywhere because I'm set apart Mm -hmm. because there's value. Do you know what you carry? Mm -hmm. There is something valuable that you carry. That's why God's saying, just come be with me. Because when you're with him, you'll start to understand your value. See, if you're with someone else, you'll start thinking that you're not worth it. You'll start thinking that, well, I may not be good enough or I may not have this, but Jesus is the one that's saying, come to me. Mm -hmm. Let me show you what I've put inside of you. Let me show what I, let me show you what I put inside of you before you were born. If you're with Jesus, you'll start to understand your calling. When you get around Jesus, you'll start to understand what he has called you to do. He appointed them to be with him to preach the gospel, and to cast out demons. Beautiful. That's right. Come on, we can give it up for Manushka. I love this first part, that he anoints us. I think the order is so important, Manushka, that he appoints us to be with him, and then he will send us out to preach and to cast out demons. I think so many times when we get saved, we have this, uh, really thought in our mind, yo, I want to get going for God right now, which I think is a good thought. You should get going. You should get serving. But there should be a part of our lives that understands that we should be withdrawing more than we're serving. The time in the private place will allow us to be effective in the public place. So the order is so important. And right now, I think this is a time to diagnose your own heart. I've been diagnosing my heart all week. Is that the cry of my heart? Even right now, if you would just close your eyes right now. Right now, we, we didn't come. Let's just remind ourselves to this service just to sing some cool songs and to put on our best clothes. We came to encounter Jesus. Come on, right now, you just say, Jesus, I want you. Say, Jesus, I need you. Come on, you can open up your eyes. I think that has to be the starting place. Yeah. That simple prayer, man, we get it so confused sometimes, but in all reality, all God is asking us to do first is to minister to him, to be with him. That's what he appoints us to do. But what is appointment? Well, what God appoints, he anoints. Appointing and anointing are synonymous in the fact that when you anoint something, You are giving them the tools for a specific task or mission. So when Jesus is giving the disciples their role as disciples, he's not just giving them the position. This is important. He's equipping them for the mission. I see Laura Robertson was on the Zoom today. She just had her first little baby girl just a week ago. And as she's stepping into this new season, guess what? God has anointed her for this season. He's already giving her the tools supernaturally that she didn't even have to ask for that God was instilling in her heart, in John David's heart. It's the same for you and I. I think oftentimes we get scared to hear the second part of the verse. We're cool with being with God, but we read this verse and it says, so that we might preach and that we might cast out demons. We get excited. We're like, yes, I found my way out. It's a maybe, baby. That's it. but we're reading the verse just a little bit wrong. That might in that verse is not a maybe. That might means able to, the ability to. I know somebody's in in the Zoom right now, somebody's in the YouTube, like, yo, I take great notes in church. I serve every week. I got 153 streak on the YouVersion Bible app. 
<laughs> but I, I don't think I, I want to preach. I don't think I really want to get up in front of people and talk about what God has done in my life. So I'm glad that he said might because I might not. In fact, I probably might not. Right? But that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is saying, hey, when I appointed you for this, I anointed you for this. And now you have the ability. In fact, we're reading the verse wrong. The way we should read the verse is, as a result of their appointment, now they have the ability and the permission to (laughs) preach the good news and to cast out demons. Oh, come on. Can somebody get excited that now you're set free to preach the good news? Now, because of your appointment, because of your appointment, I'm trying to tell somebody that you should understand that you have all the tools you need to spread the message of Jesus. Say, Dakota, isn't, isn't what we usually talk about in church just serving and finding your purpose and serving? Yeah, we say go to growth track, which is happening today, and get on a team and serve because you can find your purpose and you can facilitate other people hearing the gospel for the first time. That's true. But serving in church, hear me, this is so important. Serving in church is a part of your witness, not the entirety of it. God hasn't called you just to serve a few hours on Sunday to point people to Jesus. Oh, it's so much greater than that. He's called you to live a life each and every day that points people to Jesus. Every day. And guess what? Here's the good news. Because you've been appointed, because you've been consecrated, because you've been set apart, because you said yes to Jesus, because you spend alone time with him, because you've been worshiping in your room, because you've been listening to these sermons, now you have the appointment to preach the good news. You don't need to tell God about your ability because it's never about your ability in the first place. That's right. It was about your appointment. That's why God could call these men. That's why God didn't call the best of the best because he said, no, it's not about your ability. It's about I've appointed you. And because I've appointed you, I'm going to anoint you with exactly what you need. But some of us are like, yo, Dakota, I understand that. It's just difficult. I don't think that truly you don't understand the season I'm in. I don't think that I have what it takes. And I'm afraid to step out because I don't know if God's going to show up. Whenever I was thinking about myself in times like that, I was thinking about this story that my mom told on her 70th birthday. My mom just turned 70. She's the most beautiful woman in the world just a month ago, and she's 70. She's incredible. And we were at this dinner table for her birthday, and we were going around the table, and we were asking my mom questions about her childhood. And we were asking my mom questions about the ministry that she's done in her life. And someone asked the question, Mom, have you ever been to a point where you thought you were going to lose your life? And she said, I actually have. She said, when I was 24 years old, I was working for a missions organization. This missions organization would hold crusades all over the world. And we were about to hold a crusade in India where 15,000 people were going to attend. She said, two days Before we went on this crusade, the crusade director couldn't go. 
and I'd never led anything like this, and they made me the crusade director. She said, I didn't think that I was ready, but I felt God was calling me to it. So she accepted the call. And they travel all the way over to India where they hear that they have been having terrible torrential downpours of rain that's going to make it extremely difficult for the crusades to even happen. But the evangelists and the team, they said, we feel like God has called us to put on this crusade. Then the police came the day before the, the crusade started. And they said, team, there is a radical group in the area that is threatening to come to your crusade. And we just don't think that you should have it because we cannot protect you. They were scared. They were afraid, but they understood what they had been called to. They said, we have to proceed. We have to have the crusade. So the crusade was starting. It's a tough conditions. But my mom was singing the worship that day. She got up on that stage as a 24-year-old girl that committed her life to the gospel. There were thousands and thousands of people there in India that were coming hungry to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when she began to sing in the middle of her song, a whole row of the lights came down because they were torn down and they lost sight of a whole part of the crowd. She said at that point, she continued to sing but thoughts already started coming through her head. Are they gonna be okay? She continued to sing and then she feels rocks flying past her as she's singing the song. And immediately in her mind, she said, this might be it. I may be martyred for my faith, far away from my family, far away from my parents, far away from those I love. We said, mom, in that moment, were you afraid? She said, I was literally terrified what she said, I'll never forget. She said, I felt empowered in that moment. She said, I felt something that empowered me to continue to sing. Guess what? They had that crusade and they finished and thousands of people's lives were impacted. My mom was okay. And I tell that story because exactly what happened to my mom will happen to you. When you step out and are obedient to the call of God, He's never going to leave you stranded. And in the time that you think that it's just your ability that's gonna get you through that difficult time, when you feel like you're at your wit's end, when you feel like you don't have any more strength to keep your family together, when you feel like you don't have any more strength to keep your marriage together, when you feel like your business is gonna fail, in that moment, He's gonna empower you. When you obey God, you cannot lose. But I, I want to remind somebody today that what God has called us to, it's important, but it may not be easy. And what I want to remind you is that He has empowered you to do it. Here's the deal. We're called to preach the gospel, but I want to set the record straight. We don't preach the gospel because it's comfortable. We don't preach the gospel for our gain. We don't preach the gospel because it leads to our prosperity. We don't preach the gospel because it builds our churches. We don't preach the gospel 
just because the gospel's been good to us. We preach the gospel when it's complicated. We preach the gospel when we don't see the full picture. We preach the gospel when there's little rocks flying us. We preach the gospel when we're ridiculed. We preach the gospel because we're called. But why do we preach the gospel? Because the gospel is and always will be the only hope of the world. Today, we're appointed to preach. We're appointed to spread this word. And so oftentimes in church, we say, hey, if everyone of our church acted like you, would our church get better or worse? I like that question. Here's another question. If everyone in the world evangelized like you, would our world get more saved or would it stay lost? Today, God is not calling us to preach based on our abilities because our abilities are a side thought compared to changing someone's eternity forever. You have the good news. Now it's time to share. He calls, we come. He appoints you to minister to him, but he's also appointed you to minister to other people. Come on, can we put our hands together today? That's beautiful. I think the picture that Dakota is painting for us is what would the world look like yeah. if everyone stepped in their calling to be a follower of Jesus? I really believe that this world would be a different place. Yep. I believe that some of the answers to the problems that we're seeing in the world could be answered in the church. If everyone stepped in their calling, what would our government look like? Mm. What would businesses look like? What would our school system Amen. look like if people walked in their calling? There's all these issues, all these problems in the world. And I believe that Jesus is the answer, but he has chosen you and I as his method that he has chosen just ordinary people mm -hmm. to carry out his message yeah i think about the woman with the issue of blood she ran to jesus with her issue and and as i was thinking about that it grieved me because i wonder if people are running to the church with their issues mm. I'm wondering if, if pregnant mothers who don't know what to do with their child are running to the church saying, yeah. I need an answer. Yeah. That government's not going to give me the answer that I need. Is the church ready to be the answer? That what if people who are lost and broken running to the church for the answer? But that would take you and I stepping into our calling. Yeah. That would take you and I being like Jesus so that people could see his light. See, you're called to have authority. Yeah. Because you're wondering, how am I going to do all of this stuff? How am I going to do what God has called me to do? How will I preach? Yeah. How am I going to cast out demons? Mm. But you're going to do it because he's given you the authority. Yeah. He's given you authority that he doesn't just leave us Great. to handle it on our own. How did a bunch of 11 to 18 year olds change the world and spread a gospel that we now preach today? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. That they didn't do it with their own strength or their own ability, but they did it with the power mm -hmm. of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In your own life, what's haunting you? What, do you? what do you feel like that has a hold of you that you can't let go of? Mm. Whatever that is, God has given you power over it. Yeah. Whatever it is, you have authority over that yeah. thing. The Bible talks about this in Acts. 
See, Jesus, he tells his disciples to wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you right. and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, mm. in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, mm -hmm. that you will receive power. Yeah. That there is access to power. That you don't have to feel like you're doing it on your own, that he's already set up power so that you can move forward. Power when you feel like something's taking a hold of you that you can't handle. Right. Power when you feel like the addiction is too strong. Right. Power when you feel like the depression and the anxiety has got you. He's given you power. He says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I believe we're seeing all kinds of things happening in our world. Where we're just like, I don't, I don't know what's happening. It seems like there's negativity and bad everywhere and nothing seems to go right. But right. I believe that the power of God is still reserved for his people. Come on. That I believe that he's still getting ready to pour out his spirit. But it's got to be on some people who will say, I will answer the call. That I will answer the call to receive the authority that God has given me. That I will answer the call to receive the Holy Spirit. Come on. I'm going to answer the call. Mm. The world needs it. Yep. You can turn on any news station. Yep. You can read any article mm. and you can see there's a world that needs Jesus. Mm. And the world needs you and I to step into our rightful place. It's not time to play games. It's not time to sit on. on the sidelines. Come on. It's time to step into our authority. To step into the authority that God has given you. And I believe that we can be in this room or wherever you're watching and we can lift up our hands and say, God, I receive the authority. I receive your Holy Spirit. On, I receive your power. God, we receive it. Come on, I believe that with the people in this room, with the people watching on YouTube, with the people watching on Zoom, that we can step into our rightful place. That God has given you power. That this is not a powerless generation. That this is not a powerless church. But we will walk in power and we will walk in authority. Come on, do you believe that? Come on, do you believe that you're getting ready to walk in power? And that you're getting ready to walk in authority? Come on. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with friends. It helps so much. For more content from VU and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com. We love you. The best is yet to come.